Let's pray together. Father, we just thank you for uh, just the beauty of worshiping you and the privilege. Father, be with us now as we, as we reflect on the Christmas story, as we reflect on the birth of Christ, Father. Uh, speak to our hearts because they need to be spoken to, Father. Mold our hearts because they need to be molded, Father. And change our lives because our lives need to be changed. We pray all this in Christ's name. Amen. You know, the truth is, uh, we, we live in a culture that really prizes uh, convenience. And it's amazing the amount of convenience that we have in our culture nowadays. It's really quite staggering when you compare it to human history and even just recently. I remember when I was a kid, if you got lost, you had to figure it out. You had to stop at a gas station, or if you're a guy, you just had to figure it out because you couldn't ask for help. But now we have GPSs that help us find where to go, right? If you needed a phone number in the past, you'd have to pick up a phone book, which if, if you're young, you may not even know what a phone book is. It was this massive book that would be delivered to your house from time to time, and you had to look up phones in it, well, look up phone numbers in it. Well, now we have phones that we can search on the internet and find a phone number. Or if, we're, if that's too inconvenient for us, we can ask Siri to do it for us. The amount of convenience that we have in our world is staggering. We used to have to go out to do Christmas shopping. Now we can do Christmas shopping and grocery shopping all online. The, re- the reverse happens, though, because of that. Because we're so used to convenience, we get really frustrated in life if something becomes really inconvenient. I was reminded of that this week. Uh, It snowed on Monday and Tuesday. And on Tuesday morning, uh, we knew there were some things that we had to make that day just to get through the day food-wise. So at 7 o'clock, right when the snow was starting to go, I had to go to the giant. And I'll tell you, I was not the only person that had this idea. Snow was beginning to fall, and it was as if everyone panicked and went to Giant. Everyone from the Baltimore metro region was at this Giant at this moment when I was there. And, uh, and everybody was, was rushing through the aisles because they wanted to get what they had to purchase uh, done before the snow really came. So everybody was in every aisle. The store was mobbed. It was like an episode of Survivor. If you've ever been to a grocery store when this happens. And I knew I was getting caught up into it because I had my cart and I was going through the store. And I was starting to strategize like sight lines for how I was going to get the cart through the aisle. I'll turn left here. I'll get by this person. I'll get by that person. And if somebody stepped in my flight plan, I was going to get really very frustrated. And of course that happened. I was going to get really inconvenienced by people stepping in my path. And then, so I get through and I go to check out, and then I notice that someone, they have these guns now. Have you seen these guns at the grocery stores where you can actually scan the items that you are going to purchase while you put them in your cart, and then you get to the very end and you plug it in and it all comes up on the computer. So even that has become so much more uh, convenient. But the truth is, we all have to deal with inconveniences in our life all the time. At the, you know, we have to deal with these every day in and very day out, and very many of us get frustrated at the inconveniences of life so often. But isn't it true that so often the greatest things come our way when we are the most inconvenienced? 
when we have packed schedules, when we have all sorts of things that, that are gathering our attention and some inconvenience comes our way, isn't it often that we discover that some of the greatest things come into our lives via the way of inconvenience? I don't know if you heard the story of the Bat Kid in San Francisco recently. There's this great story that happened last month uh, in San Francisco about a little boy whose name was Miles Scott. Miles Scott was five years old, is five years old, and struggles with leukemia. And the Make-A-Wish Foundation found out that Miles Scott's wish for his life was that he got to be Batman. So what the Make-A-Wish Foundation did is they they engineered everything, they did everything so they could fulfill Miles' wish to be Bat-Kid. So on November 15th, Miles got to go onto a street that had been entirely blocked off, and he saved a damsel who was strapped to a bomb. He battled with the Riddler, and he saved the San Francisco Giants mascot from being kidnapped from the Penguin. The police department got in on this, and they blocked off all the streets to make this happen. The, the police chief made a video for Miles asking him to, asking him to, the Bat Kid to come save everything. The San Francisco Chronicle created a special edition called the Gotham City Chronicle, complete with articles written by Lois Lane and Clark Kent. A flash mob of over a thousand people came out to make this wish happen. The Federal Department of Justice afterwards issued a federal indictment for the Riddler, and the president himself tweeted about this experience and sent a a video to Miles Scott, the Bat Kid. All these people were massively inconvenienced in order to provide joy for a little boy who was suffering for cancer. And it always makes me wonder when I read that story that if maybe we are most surprised by joy in life at the moments where we are most inconvenienced. And conversely, maybe we actually miss out on some of the joy that life has for us because we don't want to be inconvenienced by life and we certainly don't want to be inconvenienced by God. This week and last week, we've been looking at this young couple, Mary and Joseph, who were massively inconvenienced by the plan of God on their lives. What we've looked at throughout the Advent season is these instances where angels came and visited ordinary, normal people just like you and I and announced this great and massive gospel event that was about to happen. Two weeks ago, we looked as the angel Gabriel came and visited Elizabeth and Zechariah and told them that they were about to have the son that we know to be John the Baptist. Last week, we looked as that same angel Gabriel came and visited 12-year-old Mary to announce that she would conceive a child by the power of the Holy Spirit. And we saw that that wasn't, that wasn't an, um, a, an easy thing for Mary to have to shoulder. She would have to, she would have to be, suffer disgrace in the ancient world and the ancient culture because very few people would believe her story. Yet in the midst of that disgrace, she found pure joy in knowing that the Savior was coming and she got to be a part of that work. This week, Tim read the passage of the angel coming and visiting Joseph 
who was betrothed to marry, to, to marry Mary in the midst of all this sort of situation that was happening. And what we've looked at is, as we saw last week, betrothal, this idea of betrothal in the ancient world was marriage kind of in two parts. The first part is that fathers would get together and they would decide to have two of their children get married. And at this point, a husband would typically be about 14 years old and a daughter would be between 10 and 12 years old. And once the fathers arranged this, they would arrange a bride price that the groom's family would have to pay in order to have the privilege of marrying the daughter. So a contract would be signed at the moment of betrothal, and that contract would essentially signify that they were to be married. But after that contract was signed, the, the daughter would still live with her family for an entire year. And after that year, a great, beautiful kind of marriage and procession would happen where the groom would would process to the bride's home, take her from the home, and process back to his home, and then the marriage would be finalized, it would be official, and would be consummated at that point. And one of the reasons that this was done was to, to prove the sexual purity of the bride. Because if she was to be found impure during that year time period, the betrothed woman would be disgraced and she would be labeled unclean in that culture and um, the marriage would be immediately annulled. Yet, to Joseph's shock and his alarm and his sadness, Mary turns up pregnant in the midst of this betrothal year. Now, we know very, very little about Joseph from Scripture. He's not talked about very much all throughout the Scripture. We know that he was from the house of David. We know that, uh, that for whatever reason he was living in Nazareth at this point, but he was really from Bethlehem. And we know that he was a carpenter. Beyond that, there is not much that we know about Joseph. Most people believe that Joseph actually died during Jesus' ministry, which is why On the cross, Jesus entrusted his mother Mary to the Apostle John because Joseph has passed away. But in very many ways, that's speculation. But what we do know is that probably in this moment, Joseph's heart was broken. We don't know how he found out. We don't know if Mary told him, but we know that he found out. And the scriptures say in verse 19 that her husband Joseph, upon finding out, being a just and and unwilling to put her to shame, he resolved to divorce her quietly. You know, Joseph finds out that Mary is pregnant. No doubt she tells him this instance of meeting with an angel, and and Joseph has to wonder whether Mary's really telling the truth. He's kind of mulling over his options at this point. Because if Joseph wanted to be vindictive, he could. He could have made an absolute public spectacle of Mary. He could have taken her before the judges at the city gate and have her stoned because of her impurity. And if you read John chapter 1, you see a story where a woman is brought even into Jesus' presence. It says she was, she was uh, caught in the very act of committing adultery. And the men, the elders, the judges of the town were ready to stone her. Well, this is the very thing that Mary could face at the hands of Joseph if he wanted to be vindictive, if he wanted to follow the law to the very letter, he could have dragged Mary at this point to the city gates and have her executed for this apparent disgrace. But instead, he, chose, he chooses to divorce her secretly 
to protect her from any more shame that she may already incur. That is, until he himself is visited by an angel. The angel comes to Joseph in a dream, and he verifies every single thing that Mary had been telling him up to this point. He verifies that this child that Mary is about to bear will be named Jesus, and he will be the Savior of the world. And remarkably, Joseph responds with obedience, and he shunned all custom, because at that moment it tells us that he he shunned all the customs of betrothal, and he rushed to Mary, and he took her into his presence, and the marriage was finalized at that moment. He shunned all custom, all, all practices that would be in that area, and he went and he found Mary, most likely because she had no other place to go at all. You know, I think this passage, as we looked at it, tells us really two profound things about God and the Christmas story and the very nature of the God we worship. And the first very simple thing it tells us is that we serve and worship a God who is profoundly with us, a God who is with us. You know, the truth is for Mary, who was probably feeling very alone at this point, God gave Mary the best of companions for her to walk this lonely road essentially saying to Mary, Joseph will be with you in this. You will not have to walk this path alone. You know, this week I was, um, I was, uh, I was approached by a woman who I don't know very well, but she, she knows that I'm a pastor. So uh, she, she came up and she said, can I talk to you for a minute? And I said, yeah, you can talk to me for a minute. But, but instantly she begins to break down in tears. Uh, her tears are... are are so violent at this point that she, she's weeping. She can't get out uh, any words whatsoever. She's just falling apart right in front of me. And uh, to this day, I don't know what was wrong. She was so upset. She was so overcome with whatever was happening to her at that point that she, she couldn't even put the words together to tell me the substance of why she was so upset and why she was so frustrated. She was just breaking down in front of me. But all she could say out of her mouth was, uh, I just can't get things together. I can't figure it out. You know, it's hard for a pastor sometimes to know what to say in those situations. But I looked at her and I said, is there anybody in your life that you have that can shoulder or share this burden with you? And she shakes her head at me and she says, no, there's nobody else in my life that can help share this burden You know, I think the truth is there is a lot that you and I can bear in life if we have people alongside of us that help us to bear our burdens. But I think some of the deepest sadness comes when we realize we have to sometimes confront the situations of life alone. See, the truth is God met Mary on this lonely road with first with Elizabeth, and now she met him, God met her through Joseph. You know, many people really have a lot of conflicting views on the nature of God, God himself. Some people, when they think of God, they think of this vindictive person that sits up in heaven and who who wants to just kind of smite us with his wrath and take all our joy and all our happiness away. Other people think of God in, in different ways. They think of God as maybe somebody who created all things but kind of set them into motion and is just letting things play out as they happen. And he doesn't really care about what happens in the day in and day out happenings of life. 
Other people believe God's just really a spectator, that he just views the events of human history and is just as much along for the ride as you and I do. But one of the things that we believe the scriptures teach us about Jesus and about God and the very nature of who God is, is that God is both transcendent and he's imminent. He's transcendent, meaning he's above all. He's higher up. He's greater than all the things that we kind of see day in and day out. But it also tells us something very powerful, and that is that God is imminent. That he is involved in the details of our lives. He gets his hands dirty, as as it were, in the details of our lives. And one of the prophetic names that's mentioned in this passage that we just looked at is that Jesus is called Emmanuel, which means God is with us. It tells us that God is well acquainted with the struggles of life that you and I go through because he has been through them as well. Because he came down on this earth. He came in the form of a baby that was both fully God and fully man. So the struggles that you and I deal with day in and day out are struggles that God himself had to deal with. He's imminent. He's well acquainted with what it's like to be a human. And it tells us that we are not alone to suffer through the realities of this life. It tells us that in a very profound and real sense, God is with us. A few weeks ago, uh, thanks, to, um, thanks to Justin and Natalie, several of us had an opportunity to go hear Ravi Zacharias uh, uh, speak down at Hopkins. And the topic that he was asked to speak about was the presence of evil that exists in this world. Now, if you've never heard of Ravi Zacharias, he's, he's a very well-known teacher that travels all throughout the world. Uh, he's known to be an apologist, a man who gives very kind of intellectual thoughts about the faith and argues for the faith. And uh, he came and he spoke for about an hour and a half, and it was a, it was a really good time. But at the very end, uh, he opened things up for questions. And people could come and ask him all sorts of questions, intellectual questions about the faith, rational questions. And at some point, a woman uh, limped up to the microphone, and she said, I have a question for you. Now, there's probably thousands of people here at this point to hear this, and she said, I have a question for you. She said, about two years ago, I prayed that God would, would make himself real in my life, or something to the substance of that. And she said, ever since I prayed that, those two years ago, nothing but bad things have happened in my life. She said, in fact, just today, I received news from a doctor that I had this or that debilitating disease. Can you tell me why I prayed that two years ago and I've done nothing but suffer ever since? I mean, there's thousands of people, but you could have heard a pin drop at this point. And you're expecting the speaker to come with some very kind of rational or polished intellectual answer as to why this woman was suffering. But they didn't come with that answer. One of the speakers got up and he said, I have no idea at all why you are suffering the way you do. But what I do know is that we serve a God who is well acquainted with our grief because he was one of us. And the speaker went on to tell the story about when Jesus, uh, when Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead. I think it's in Luke chapter 10. 
And the story tells us that Jesus' friend, his, one of his close friends, Lazarus, died. And Jesus wasn't there, but he was en route to go and see Lazarus. And when he arrives and he sees Lazarus' family crying and he sees the grave and he sees his friend dead, it says that Jesus wept. Now, why did Jesus weep? I've often looked at that passage and I've known, you know, Jesus is about to heal him. He's about to raise him from the dead. Why would Jesus weep in this circumstance? Well, the truth is he wept because he was God with us. Because he felt the full experience of what grief of losing a friend feels like. Because he is God with us. He wept because he intensely felt what it feels like to suffer grief in this life. He is Emmanuel. He is God with us. There's no other God in no other religion that teaches this very thing. In fact, Jesus says in Matthew 11 that he came to bear our burdens. It says, come to me all who are weary and heavy laden and I will give you rest. Well, why is there comfort in giving God our burdens? Because he knows what it's like to feel burdened. Because he was God with us. He was Emmanuel. We serve a God who was with us. And this is what is so profound about the very thing we celebrate every Christmas. It's what's so profound about the incarnation. It's that God, who was fully God and fully man, was born into suffering and poverty so he could be one of us. The second thing this passage tells us is that we serve a God who often surprises us with joy in the most unlikely and inconvenient places in life. You know, when I think about Mary and Joseph, I think about their plans and dreams for their lives and how they instantly took a very radical turn due to the, due to the intrusion of God's plan in their lives. To call it an inconvenience is really to make too light of what God was asking Mary and Joseph to do. Yet both of them showed a remarkable openness to God's interruption in their life. And in doing so, they found an, a tremendous and unspeakable joy in life. It reminds us that God has a much better grasp on what truly completes our lives really than we do. A great story is told about C.S. Lewis, later, who later in his life actually got married. He was a bachelor most of his life, but later in his life he got married uh, to a woman named Joy Davidson. And uh, to call the marriage inconvenient uh, is probably a modest term. Joy Davidson was an acquaintance of C.S. Lewis. Uh, they were, they, I wouldn't even call them friends, but she was, she was uh, needing to stay in the country in which she was teaching and had no other way to stay in the country uh, because of visas and all those situations unless she got married. So here C.S. Lewis was willing to marry this woman who he barely knew whatsoever in order to give her the privilege of staying in the country uh, to teach and carry on with her job. Well, what the story tells us is that shortly after Lewis suffered the inconvenience of getting married, uh, Joy Davidson, this woman that he had just married, uh, became tragically ill uh, to the point where it looked like her life was unsure whether to survive. And Lewis had to be inconvenienced even more. 
He now had to care for this woman that he was married to as she dealt with a terminal illness. And what he writes throughout his writings is that as he cared for her, his affections began to grow for her. They grew so much throughout this process that he began to actually love this woman whom he'd married. And one of his most profound books that he ever read was a book that's called A Grief Observed. And what, what, what he wrote this book, these were diaries that he wrote after Joy Davidson passed away. And you see someone who had transformed from a person who was inconveniently married to a woman to someone who found a deep and powerful joy from this relationship. It reminds us that sometimes the most inconvenient things about our lives bring sometimes the greatest joy. Think about all throughout Scripture. Think about Moses. Think about Abraham. Think about Esther. Think about Peter. Think about Paul. All these people throughout Scripture who are willing to be inconvenienced by God's intrusion on their lives. And in the process, they found a joy that was unspeakable. You see, Mary and Joseph tasted joy in Jesus that made all of the inconvenience worth it. And we have to ask ourselves, maybe we are so pursuant of convenience in our lives that we somehow miss out on all the joy that life has to offer. The question that we have to ask ourselves is, what are the inconvenient things that God may be calling you and I to do? What intrusion or interruption in your life might you be ignoring? And because of that, what is the joy that you are missing out as a result of it? Because those inconveniences often provide great joy. Now, why is that? It's because we serve a God who is with us. Emmanuel, God with us. You know, the truth is, like Mary... Joseph really is a remarkable character. He had every right to condemn Mary and to have her killed. But instead, in that moment, he chooses to marry her. And in doing so, he would have to share in her shame. He would have to share in her disgrace. He would be considered a laughingstock right alongside of Mary and the subject of lifelong ridicule and rumors. But instead, he chose to marry her and to be with her. You know, the gospel tells us that spiritually we stand before God awaiting the punishment for our sins that we deeply deserve. But instead, Christ came and bore our shame. He was hung naked as a common criminal on a cross in order to bear our shame, in order to bear our condemnation that you and I deserve because he so deeply loved us. See, the gospel story calls us to flee to him and to receive joyfully the gift of grace that he has for us.